0: You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg Podcast. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. Well, after George Washington left the presidency, he retired to Mount Vernon to live out the rest of his life as a farmer. We're here today on the site of George Washington's Whiskey Still with Dennis Pogue, who is Director of Preservation here at Mount Vernon, and he's going to take us through the still. So Dennis,
1: thanks for uh, having us
0: on the tour today.
1: Well, thanks for coming, Harmony. It's a great story to talk about.
0: Let's talk about Washington and whiskey. Those might not be the first two words that you'd associate. How did Washington get into the whiskey business?
1: Well, you're right. If anybody knows about Washington and whiskey, usually it's because of the whiskey rebellion uh, that happened during his, his presidency. Um, and some folks are surprised to hear that Washington then later on had a distillery. But the whiskey rebellion wasn't about the propriety of drinking. It was all about you know getting revenues for the new federal government and then protecting the right of the government to collect those revenues. So when Washington came back at the end of the presidency, he hired a Scotsman by the name of James Anderson to be his plantation manager. And Anderson almost immediately you know, lobbied Washington and said, you know, I've experienced distilling, uh, apparently all Scotsmen know how to make whiskey from birth, I don't know, and uh, if you will pay for this, uh, I can make you a lot of money uh, by distilling uh, the grain that's grown on the plantation and, and turning that into another uh, stream of revenue.
0: Yeah, how does that compare? How much money is Washington going to make off of whiskey versus how much he's going to make off of that raw crop of corn?
1: The, you know, the economics of it are, are really good. Uh, if you can afford, you know, the capital investment and buy a still and, you know, all those kinds of things, um, then you can make a, a considerable profit. Uh, you can make uh, probably four times the value in whiskey of the actual grain that you're using uh, to make that. So it's a real and it's a real profit maker. And Anderson was right. It made Washington a lot of money.
0: And you've reconstructed not only the building, but the process. Let's describe for people who are just a listening audience. What are we looking at in this room? And, and how does that represent the process of 18th century whiskey making?
1: That really was our goal, was that you would walk in here and you would see what it looked like. And then you could also understand exactly how it was done 200 years ago. And, you know, whiskey making is the same now as it was 200 years ago. Uh, if you go out to Kentucky and go out to see one of those, you know, those fine uh, distilleries out there, they're doing the same thing, but their process is kind of on steroids. You know, it's they're they're making, you know, thousands and thousands of gallons, you know, per day, um, but they're doing the same steps, and those steps include, you know, that you have to have grain, and we know uh, Washington's uh, recipe. It was 60% rye, 35% corn, and 5% malted barley which was a a very typical mixture of the day. So he was making what would be technically called rye whiskey. So you need to take those grains and you cook them. And you do that by putting the grains into this large barrel. This is called a mash tub. So we're
0: standing next to a gigantic wooden barrel that comes up
1: up to my waist, higher. So great big wooden barrel. Yep, 120 gallons. And so this becomes the receptacle that you put the grain in. And again, we've got examples of the three different grains here, rye, corn, and malted barley. They're dumped in, they're ground in the grist mill next door, brought over here, dumped into here, and then this big copper boiler that's right next to it.
0: And this looks like a giant copper bathtub, like a frontier hot tub, up on a brick pedestal.
1: Right, and there would have been a fire under here to heat this. And so you would you would dip the boiling water you know, out of this and bring it over here and, and put it in with the grain. And you would do that in several steps. You start off with the corn, you'd bring the boiling water in, you'd dump it in together, then you'd take this long paddle, and then you'd mix it together. Uh And you'd keep doing that with all the different grains until it gets up to the top, get it all thoroughly mixed, and then the last step in the process is to throw yeast in there, and then you let it sit there for three to five days. And what you're doing is that you're cooking the grain, so you're turning the starches into sugar, and then the little yeasties eat the sugar, and they produce alcohol. And so after that goes through that, that process, then all of this has been, has been fermented, so you're ready for the next step.
0: And what do you call this brew here that you've made in the, bu- in the
1: barrel? Well, as it's being made, it's called mash. Once it's done and it goes to the still, then it's called wash. And so the mash is transferred in buckets over here to one of these stills. And again, they're, they're set in It's large, you know, masonry mass. They're copper, and they've got two parts to them. They've got the body that's set into the masonry over the fire, and then a head that you can take off.
0: And this is where the science happens, because, correct me if I'm wrong, but the process is that alcohol evaporates at a lower temperature than water. So you, you heat this wash, um, the alcohol begins to, to evaporate, and then it's caught in what you call the worm, and then it's cooled again in another wooden barrel full of cool water and, and recondensed? Absolutely, you've
1: got this down. <laughs> so yeah, the, the, the fire goes under here, as you said, it heats up, the alcohol vaporizes, and then begins to travel through the arm. The barrel's got cool water in it that is let in, uh, we have a trough that brings water down from the mill race, and the spigot up at the top there. You'd open that up, the water would flow down through through here and into the barrel, and then because the water is cool, that's helping the alcohol condense back into liquid form. The the uh, arm goes into this spiraling tube that goes all the way down to the barrel and comes out the back side, and when it's all working right. Then the distillate will come out here and dump into a container here. So do you have whiskey at that point? Uh, you've got first-run uh, whiskey. And Washington, his common whiskey, um, you know, most of the whiskey he made, he would have distilled twice. And so you, you gather that all up, you put it into a keg, you go through all of this, and they would have gotten all these mash tubs ready to go at one time, and then they would have gone into distilling. And they would have gone all the way through their first run, collected that back up, and then they would need to reintroduce Uh, That first run distillate into these stills again, and do it again. And after the second time through, of course, it's got a higher proof. Um, You know, Washington's whiskey would have been somewhere between, um, you know, 60 to 70 uh, percent alcohol uh, when it was all done. And he did uh, actually distill very small amounts at even higher proof, up to four times. And that was that was more expensive. The, The cheap stuff went for 60 cents a gallon, and the expensive top drawer stuff went for a buck a gallon.
0: And this probably does not compare at all to the whiskeys we're familiar with today because his whiskey was not aged.
1: Exactly. This, the, the whiskey that comes out here is clear. Uh, and again, that's all whiskey does that. It comes out clear. And if you're a bourbon drinker, um, you, you know that, that bourbon is sort of a reddish brown. That reddish brown comes from being stored uh, in oak barrels for several years. And not only barrels, but barrels that have been charred on the inside because they figured out a long time ago that the charring you know, gives the whiskey, you know, some special flavors, uh, sort of more refined. So Washington's whiskey would not have been aged, and so it it would have been clear, uh, and so it would have been kind of a a sharp, you know, kind of a spicy flavor profile.
0: Now, you had a lot to go on when you were doing this reconstruction in terms of the written record and the archaeological exploration that you did on this site. Tell us about those um, discoveries and how that informed what you reconstructed here.
1: Well, you know, historians had always known that Washington had a distillery, um, but it wasn't until we got into the project that we really began to understand the richness of the evidence that was available to us, and the archaeology was was crucial. The general location of the site was known, but the actual you know placement of the building you know had not been determined. So we came out here with our archaeologists, you know, back in 1997, I believe it was, and we surveyed the area. We knew it was in this general location, and came up with evidence for it. So we found you know uh, structural remains uh, nails and especially you know stone fragments and brick fragments and domestic remains you know as well so we knew pretty much where it was and then set about excavating it so over the next five years uh, we completely exposed the foundation of the building which was very large 75 feet long by 33 feet wide uh, which again makes it one of the largest distilleries that we know about at the time so the archaeology was crucial and it told us exactly where the stills were located because we found the remnants of the bottoms of the furnaces and burned soils, marking exactly where they were. We found remnants of the mashing floor where the mash tubs are are placed. We found the base of the boiler. We found evidence for the drains under the floor for carrying the water away. So lots and lots of, of great archaeological material. And then we went to the plantation records, and again, very fortunate, we have Washington's correspondence, where he talks about it. But then we've got the weekly farm reports. And then we've got ledgers um, that uh, document the transactions that were occurring when the distillery was being built. And then after it was here, we've got records of people coming and buying whiskey. And we know how many gallons they're buying and what they're paying for um, and all of that information. So pull that all together. And then there are manuals from the period that, that talk about how you distilled um, in the late 18th century. And so that's where you know we found specific evidence on how the mashing occurred and the different steps. So a combination of the archeology, span the other documentation from Mount Vernon, and then these other sources brought it all together for us to tell the story.
0: There's so many stories woven into this one site. You've just got the biography of the first president. You've got the story of the technology of whiskey making. You've got the story of American commerce. What's your favorite part of the story that you get to tell here with this building?
1: Well, uh, there's two. Um, one is that, and people ask us, you know, why did you do this? Um, it's because it allows us to tell a side of Washington story that people just don't know about. And people, you know, everybody knows a little bit about George Washington. Uh, you know, but what they tend to know, you know are, are sort of the public career and, frankly, a lot of half-truths. And so being able to tell this story is a way for us to engage people about Washington that in, a, in a way that they just had no idea would have been there. And people find it fascinating the fact that our our, our first president was a whiskey distiller, uh, and so it's really something that brings people in and engages them. But the second part is the personal story, because of course this you know people did all this, and you know Washington is is you know the brains behind it, or he's the money man behind it. But then there's James Anderson, the Scottish plantation manager, his son John, and his assistant were the ones who were working here on a daily basis, and then there were six enslaved you know workers here, six young. You know, black men uh, who were doing all this work. And so they were the ones who were mashing and carrying the grain around and, and working the stills and all of that. And then you have the people that came here. And we know their names. Uh, and a lot of them we can relate to, you know, specifically where they came from. And so knowing what they bought and how they interacted with this gives it a, a you know, sort of a personal people dimension uh, that I think is, is hugely important you know, to these stories.
0: We had a couple questions from listeners. Uh, we had a listener who asked, uh, was George Washington a whiskey drinker?
1: Yes, the answer is yes, but it was probably not his favorite spirit. Um, whiskey, as, as you talked, you know, it's not aged, it's a little bit rough, it was incredibly cheap. And um, whiskey becomes you know, the most popular uh, distilled spirit in the country after the revolution. But it is sort of the commoner's drink, to be quite honest, and Washington, Early on, um, we know that he preferred Madeira uh, and port and various imported wines, which was pretty typical of sort of upper class folks at that time. But we know from records that he did drink whiskey. Uh, There are accounts of him doing it. And uh, at the mansion, we know that there was whiskey and brandy transferred from the distillery here to the mansion uh, to be used by the Washington household.
0: Another listener question was, in your research, did you come across any 18th century hangover cures?
1: <laughs> well, none, none specifically from, from Mount Vernon. Uh, none that Washington talks about or anybody from the family uh, talks about. Uh, but certainly there were issues. And, you know, as time went on, uh, by the early 19th century, the, the rate of consumption of alcohol in this country was, was really phenomenal. Uh, it was up to five gallons per capita by, like, the 1820s. Um, and of course, per capita means everybody, so that includes women and children. And so, if you th- if you throw them out, you know that means the guys are, are really, really, really drinking. Uh, and so, you know, drinking to excess was was a real common problem. Uh, hangover remedies, um, you know, I think uh, the hair of the dog has been around for a long time. Uh, and especially if you're a heavy drinker, uh, just get back into the fight the next day and have some more. And I think that's the one that I'm most, most familiar with. <laughs>
0: this was like great advice. Huh. We know that whiskey um, in the 18th century or, or alcohol in general is used medicinally, antiseptically and as a beverage. What is Washington's whiskey being used for?
1: Well, all three of those. And again, you know, one of the reasons why alcohol is so readily consumed is that folks thought it was good for you, you know, they thought it was healthy. I mean, it's coming from grain. Um, You know, grain and fruit, you know, those are good things. So obviously, you know, the alcohol that's produced must be good for you. And doctors, of course, they prescribed, you know, alcohol for just about anything. Um, And we know that Washington uh, went along with that. Um, We know that he was dosed with alcohol at different times in his career. um, And he dosed other people uh, with it. There's several references to people coming and they're not feeling well and Washington prescribes several glasses of Madeira or, you know, or whatever, it, it will be good for what ails you. So I think Washington uh, was basically following along in that same, in that same line.
0: And I'm sure people are going to be wondering if they can come and buy this whiskey. <laughs>
1: we've made small batches over the years, and, and we, for the first time last year, we were able to make enough to actually sell it, you know, to the public. And uh, it sold out within two hours. And so we've made two more batches since then. One of them has been offered and sold, and then the third one is going to be made available later this summer. So keep your ears open uh, and hopefully you hear about it. And you can buy it here. We are an ABC store licensed by the, by the Commonwealth. And uh, this is the only place where you can come and get it. So you'll, you'll need to come here.
0: When and where can people come visit Mount Vernon and the whiskey distillery?
1: Well, Mount Vernon's open 365 days of the year. And so you can come you know, at any time. Uh, the distillery is open from April through October. And we have costume interpreters here, uh, again, seven days a week. Anytime from April through October, come on down.
0: Dennis, thanks so much for having us. Oh,
1: it's been a pleasure.
0: To support the podcast and Colonial Williamsburg programs, visit history.org slash donate. We love hearing from you. Visit history.org slash podcasts and click comment at the top of the page to drop us a line.